three readings from Proverbs. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 22, 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Proverbs 26. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 13, 20. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Asher. Um, he, uh, he had to kind of pull um, like a little bit of a change last minute because I changed one of my texts. So he had a different reading when he came in this morning. They were like, hey, could you read these other things uh, instead? And he did a great job. So thanks, Asher, for, for being a part of service today. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, it's so good to be back with you. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I've been gone for a little bit because uh, my family, we just had our second child, uh, Landon James, uh, who was born on December 15th. Uh, it's, yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Um, he's great. Uh, family's doing great. Steffi is an incredible mother uh, to our kids. Camden is loving being a big sister. Uh, in fact, I, I'm realizing what a big difference it is between being a firstborn and a second because he's just constantly getting like poked and prodded and played with and like giggled over and she didn't have any of that um, but she's just loving uh, the time with him. I did a, a really bad pastor blunder though and I did not bring a picture of him today so I'm really sorry. Uh, I'll try to do that next time. I know you can boo. That's I know. It's like I had one job. It's like I don't, nobody cares about what I have to say today. They just want to see a picture of Landon. So um, I did uh, not have that picture. I do have another picture I need to talk with you all about though because while I was gone, uh, I received, I was personally attacked while I was out of the building. That does not feel great. So I'm wearing the same sweater today. When you get made fun of, you just have to lean in. Uh, but I wasn't quite brave enough to wear the same pants because uh, I thought no one's going to listen to me if I look like Elf up here. So, uh, you know, that's all right. It's fun. We had a good time. Uh, and uh, it's really good to be back with all of you. Uh, the pro Proverbs that uh, Asher just read, today we're talking about intergenerational relationships uh, in church. And specifically, how do we pass on the faith to the next generation? Uh, and just to kind of take a quick pulse of the room, you may not have realized this, but if you look around the room, not everyone in the room uh, is the same age as you. And that's because Waterstone is an intergenerational church. We want to have people who feel like they are welcomed, uh, like they are heard, like they belong in our community from all generations. And so just to take a quick pulse, I want, I want to do a, a raise your hand survey. Uh, I'm going to name a generation and then I'm going to give you the, the date ranges of that generation so you know Okay, yeah, I fall into that one. And I just want you to raise your hand when you hear yours. So uh, we'll start um, with this generation. Anyone from the greatest generation in the room, which means you were born between nine, or before 1925. Do we have any greatest generation in the room? Okay, doesn't look like it, but I'm guessing there's some in our church. Maybe they're home today online, so maybe you're raising your, your hand at home. All right, next generation, the silence. They're born from 1925 to 1945. Anyone fall into that generational category? Okay, few, yep, love the hands, raised high, awesome. Anyone fall into the boomers, 1946 to 1964? Okay, yeah, you guys are like the most numerous people everywhere you go. Everybody, like you're, you're the greatest population. All right, then we have uh, Gen X, also known as the middle child of America. Everybody forgets about them, but I didn't, so you're welcome. 1965 to 1979, anyone fall in that category? All right, okay, yeah, there you go. 
Awesome. Represent. Love it. And then we've got uh, millennials. Uh, my generation doesn't mean we're the best, but you know, whatever. Uh, 1980 to 1994 is the millennial generation. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then uh, the last generation that's been named Generation Z, also called the I Generation, 1995 to 2012. We have obviously a lot of you guys, yeah, Gen Z, and we've got a few around the room, awesome. Yeah, so we have people literally from, from every generation in our church, and, and that's intentional. We want to be an intergenerational church. Uh, but has anybody ever heard of the term generation gap? Anyone familiar with that term? Okay, this is the definition of the generation gap. It is the chasm that separates the beliefs and behavior belonging to members of different generations. The chasm separating the beliefs and behaviors of different generations. Has anyone ever felt the generation gap before? You're interacting with someone who's maybe from a different generation. You're like, I don't even know if we know the same language and you're both speaking English. Right? Without going into a whole lot of detail about what that would look like, I, instead of giving my own examples, I actually have a video today from an advertising company in Australia, oddly enough, uh, that I think perfectly captures what we feel in the generation gap sometimes. So take a look at the screen and check out this video. Good morning, Bermatown. It's a beautiful day to be 60 to 78 years young. Here's another gold moldy. Your phone charge is on. Your phone charge is on. Have a house. Lovely. Your phone charge is on. <laughs> Careful, Seymour. Watch out for the generation gap. <laughs> I wonder how they're going over there. Yeah, bloody Gen Zs. Just remember, we're the ones that invented your precious World Wide Web. Seymour! Oh. oh, classic boomers, making the gap bigger. They'd understand if they just listened to us. Yeah, season one was better. Hey, do you think all this screen time is adversely affecting our social skills? Well, it could be worse. We could be in our early 30s. Hey, millennials are still cool, right? Morning. So not slay. Are we saying slay now? Slay. <laughs> slay. Slay. I just feel like no one pays attention to Gen X. We've got so much to say. I don't care what they do. Just not in my backyard. Hey, hey, my backyard! This is their fault. Don't look at us. We're literally perfect. Typical young people. Everyone gets a trophy. We were kids. You bought us the trophy. Stop gaslighting us. That's not what that means. Cancel. Cancel. Is that lamb? Lamb. You know, when I was a kid, we'd have lamb egg. Lamb barbecue? Lit. <laughs> well, at least we can agree on something. The generation gap, it's closing. The land's getting closer. I'm addicted to my phone as well. <laughs> Takeaway coffees could be hotter. It's okay you spent 368 billion on submarines. Yeah, it was an impulse buy. <laughs> Being a young person in Australia must be difficult. Being an old person must be pretty tricky too. Probably. I'm sorry.
It's John Howard. Oh, who's that? Good to have the country back together. We weren't ever that far apart, sweetheart. <laughs> Funny how a video from Australia still pretty accurately addresses some of the, the own challenges in our country and our culture. Although I don't think we've spent 368 billion on submarines. Did you catch that? Yeah, that was weird. Uh, also, I feel like there's some Jesus juke dad joke in there about how like there is a lamb who brings all the generations together, but I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna make that joke today. Um, but I, I do think that video perfectly captures what we sometimes feel in the generation gap. And here's the thing, uh, being an intergenerational church it is not not the primary goal of Waterstone. We don't want to just have people from every generation and pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, we have old people and we have young people. Look at how good we are. But our goal is to be an integrated intergenerational church. We don't want just people from every generation coming together for worship and then splitting off into their own communities. We want to be a church, a body of believers that come together and that the gospel fills the gap between the generations so that we can witness to the world. And so what I would like to do today is talk about what it means to pass on the faith to the next generation. Because one of the challenges of an intergenerational church is that it always requires us to be looking ahead. If we wanted to be a church of just boomers, or millennials, we wouldn't have to change anything about the way we do church. But if we always want to be looking to the next generation, if we want to look to these students and the Gen Z and the, the people coming behind us, th then we have to understand their world and what it means to pass on our faith to them. And so today I'd like to take a look at the wisdom from the book of Proverbs and what it means to pass on the faith to the next generation. So we're going to look at three Proverbs, and we're going to begin with one of the most often quoted when this topic comes up and one of the most misunderstood verses from all of Proverbs. And here it is, uh, Proverbs 22.6. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And I feel like anytime anyone gives a, a sermon or a talk on the next generation or passing on faith to kids, this verse is, is like always used. It's like the golden standard of verses about how to pass on the faith to the next generation. But it comes with a couple of, of misconceptions. First of all, uh, what we need to understand about this verse is that it is not just a verse to parents. So many times we read this and we kind of impose our like Western individualistic mindset on this verse and we think, oh yeah, raising a child, that's what parents do. But, but that's a completely foreign concept to the authors of Proverbs. There were no single family dwelling homes when Proverbs was written. Raising children, raising the next generation was always, always a communal activity, not just a parental one. And so we need to understand as a community of faith, passing on the, the faith to the next generation, it's not just something that parents do. It's something that is part of the entire body of believers. It's a corporate responsibility and a communal activity. And the other thing that we need to understand is that at Waterstone, we do have parents and single parents and grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. We, we have blended families, but we also have friends and teachers and coaches and aunts and uncles and grandparents and, and any number of people who have an influence on the next generation. And, and finally, what we also have to realize is that almost everyone in the room has a generation uh, that's before it. But every single one of us has a generation that is coming up behind us. Every single one of us, even the most young in the room, have someone that looks up to them. 
And so the question we have to ask ourselves is what does it mean for every single one of us to pass on the faith to the next generation? Because these principles we're going to look at today, they, they all have application for every single one of us in the room. And the other issue that often comes up with this Proverbs when it's read is that, that we think it comes from the book of promises and we don't recognize that it comes from the book of Proverbs. Because we read this passage and we think, okay, start the children in the way they should go and then they will automatically follow in the faith that we've given them. And what ends up happening is real life steps into that and we think, man, I, I thought I did all the right things and then my child walked away from the faith or, or their faith doesn't look like mine. Where did it go wrong? And we come to it with this mindset that if we have the right input, then it will equal the right outcomes. We think if we parent well enough, if we have the right youth pastors in place and the right mentors, if we do all of the things right, then automatically that means our kids will follow in the faith that we've given them and reality hits and that's not what we experience. And we think, oh my goodness, what's gone wrong? And the question so many people are wrestling with today is whose fault is it when a generation walks away from the faith? or when someone stumbles in passing the baton of faith to the next generation. And there's kind of two gaps that we see. The, the people who have gone before, they, they enter in with all of this guilt and all of this regret and all of this thinking that, that it was their responsibility and somewhere along the way they failed the next generation. And then you have the, the next generation coming along and feeling the same sorts of guilt or regret or, or maybe grief because they weren't parented or they weren't treated the way that they thought they deserved by the community of faith. And we don't have time to go into every single proverb that talks about passing faith to the next generation, but what I can tell you is that there is a, a communal thought in the proverbs that it doesn't come down to just one generation's actions towards the ones following, and it doesn't come down to the generation's following response to the one before. What, what the book of Proverbs says is that there's actually three factors going on anytime we talk about passing faith to the next generation. And the first is Proverbs says sometimes children go their own way because of the nature they were born with, the, the, the heart that they were given, the way that they choose to interact with the world. And also sometimes children leave the faith because of the way they were nurtured. Sometimes children leave the faith because they weren't parented or they, they weren't treated the way they were supposed to by the generation ahead of them or by their parents. But in the midst of all of that, there's also a level that we have to recognize, and Proverbs recognizes this, that, that there's also free will, that there's choices that each and every single one of us make. And so the wisdom of Proverbs as we go on this journey today is that, that when it comes to whose fault it is when the next generation walks away from the faith, is it the generation who went ahead or is it the generation who didn't respond or what might it be? The, the wisdom of Proverbs is that the generation ahead can never take too much credit for the outcome. If things go really well, it's not like the generation ahead gets to say, yeah, that's us, that was us, we did that. But also when things go poorly, the generation ahead cannot simply say, it's all my fault, I failed. You see, there's a, there's a grace that we can see in this threefold approach to passing on the faith. There are absolutely places where we have to repent for where we got things wrong, but if a child walks away from the faith, if a generation leaves the faith, it's not solely on that person. But also, for the following generation, if you find yourself looking at the generation ahead of you and, and feeling frustrated because you didn't receive the type of parenting or the, the example of faith that you had hoped for, if you feel like the church community has let you down in some way, it's not only their responsibility. Those wounds are real. 
But we also have choices to make about how we interact with those wounds. And so Proverbs 22, 6 invites us into the space of recognizing this is a communal activity of passing the faith along and, and how we relate to the other generations before and behind us all play a role in the success or failure of how the faith is passed. So those caveats aside, what is the principle of faith and how to pass on the faith from Proverbs 22.6? I think at the heart of it, the the proverb is getting at this idea. The, The generations need to exemplify the way of wisdom for the generations coming behind. The, the, the proverb says that the community of faith trains a child in the way it should go. And, and it, it comes with this idea that the generations ahead are, are coming to the generation behind and, and not just pointing them in a direction, saying, hey, this is the right path, follow this path, or not just setting them on the road and saying, good luck, go. They, they actually show and lead and exemplify the way of wisdom themselves. We don't just turn the next generation loose and, and hope they'll figure it out on their own. There's a call for the generation ahead to exemplify the way of wisdom with the generations that are following them, to show them the truth of a God-centered life. Now, our, our family loves to go hiking and uh, hiking uh, as two adults, Steffi and I, uh, really is different when you introduce a toddler into the mix. And, and uh, hiking becomes a whole different activity. Because Steffi and I, we would just set out and we would try to hike as far as we could, get to the destination we went to. When you start hiking with a two-year-old, you have to, to do a lot of other things to help keep them on the path too. You have to create some snack breaks, like every quarter of a mile to make sure that they stay engaged. And you have to come up with games to keep them active and keep them like wanting, because they don't care about getting to the waterfall or to the top of the mountain. They just want to be with you. And the generations following, you just think about some of the changes our our society, our culture has been through over the last like five to 10 years. Would anyone say that following Christ has become more easy in the last five to 10 years or has it become much more difficult? Now imagine being a 16-year-old trying to follow Jesus in the cultural parameters that we have set for ourselves. Imagine trying to wholeheartedly pursue Jesus. Is there ever a time in life where you feel more social and peer pressure to fit in with cultural norms than than in high school and early adulthood, middle school? No. Imagine trying to navigate some of the complex issues we've tried to navigate as the last few years as a follower of Jesus at 16, 17, 12 years old. They, they need people coming alongside them to help them navigate this world. Look at this graph with me real quickly. This is a graph. The red line shows uh, 18-year-olds, 12th graders, and their satisfaction with parents over the last 50 years or so. The, the blue line is their overall satisfaction with life as a whole. Now, now notice two things. As you go through the graph, uh, they seem to be kind of on a similar trajectory. As parents and, and teenagers' relationship it, it peaks, so does their satisfaction with life. And as that relationship deteriorates, so does their satisfaction with life. Until 2012 hits, and then it takes this like sharp split. Parents feel, or kids feel fairly satisfied with their relationship with parents, but increasingly dissatisfied with their life. Does anyone remember what happened in 2012? Or anyone know? Social media. media. Facebook went public for the first time, widespread access, and smartphones became widely used. And there's study after study that's showing this exact paradigm. Usually, 
a, a teenager's relationships to their parent is the single highest indicator of their satisfaction with life until 2012 when that just plummeted. I read this week a quote that stuck with me, that every generation has generational trauma. We all have things we go through, but not every generation has had to endure TikTok. And it's funny, but it's also true. There is something about the world we are creating for, for the youngest among us. The expectations and the pressures that we are putting on them, the ways we are expecting them to conform and fit in, and the challenges of social media and all of the things that come with that. You see, we need to be a church that that helps the next generation navigate those challenges. We can't just expect them to figure it out on their own. And also notice this about that graph. It's always been almost that that parents always are the, the key indicator of their satisfaction of their teenagers and of their children. But not anymore. It's as if kids need more than just their parents to help them navigate the world. What an opportunity for the church to step into that gap. What an opportunity we have to bring the gospel wisdom to those situations. I heard an illustration recently from a pastor uh, who had been attending a a talk from a a pilot in the Navy and in the military. And what he talked about is this kind of progression that the military has had to go through with their pilots. And there was a term they used to, to have for pilots that was uh, observe, decide, and act, O-D-A. And basically way back in the day, like 1940s and all that, the planes were not as fast as they are today. They didn't have jets. And so flying a plane was similar to driving a car. You just kind of had to pay attention to what was going on around you. And most of it was up to the skill of the pilot. There weren't a lot of instruments that helped them navigate or, or told them which way was up or which way was down is mostly like make sure you have enough fuel to get home and the skill of the pilot. But as jets became introduced into the military sometime around the Korean War and they became so much faster, what they found is pilots became really disoriented by the speed of the, the, the vehicles that they were maneuvering and flying. And if you've ever seen a video of a pilot where they like take some, a civilian up in the plane, they're like flying and doing the loops and gets to the point where the, the person just really wants to vomit and like, okay, which way do you think is up? And the person like points up and like, how much would you bet that that way is up? And the person's like, I really think that that way is up. And I was like, that is absolutely wrong. You are pointing to the ground. Well, what they found is that, that pilots could become so disoriented that they were flying these jets literally into the ground because they were lost and didn't know how to navigate. And, and so the military had to change, and they, they came up with what's called OODA loop, where it's observe, orient, decide, act. And what they realized is they needed instruments outside of themselves to help them navigate the world that they were inhabiting with these jets. They needed something outside of themselves because their internal navigation system was not strong enough to, to, to deal with the speed and velocity at which they were traveling. I think that if we look at our culture, we see people all the time who, who think they are traveling at the speed of life towards the good life and flying themselves straight into the ground. We need to be a community that, that helps orient people to the truth and wisdom that God has for us? What would it look like to have mentoring relationships where where we wrote letters or shared stories or heard what was going on in the lives of the next generation as they are navigating this increasingly complex world? 
What would it look like for us to be a, a system outside of the realities that we live to help people navigate? See, we live in a culture right now that, that's causing people to swear that they are flying in the way of life as they fly themselves into the ground. Our internal self is no longer strong enough or reliable enough source of information to navigate the world that we're in. We need people, the word of God, outside of ourselves to help us navigate those complexities. But, but here's the thing about mentoring that often comes up. Is I hear from the generation before, oh, I don't think they really like want to hear from me. I, I don't think I'm cool enough. I don't think I'm wise enough. I don't think I have what it takes. I really don't think the next generation wants to hear from me. And then I hear from the younger generation that I don't really think they care about me. I don't really think they, they value me. I don't really think they want to spend time with me. I don't think, and it's as if we have these, this chasm between the generations where both of us, because of our insecurities, think the other one doesn't care about us, doesn't want to be in our lives, doesn't have anything to say to us, and doesn't want to listen to us. And what if we became a community that stepped outside of our insecurities and, and forced ourselves to, to move to a place where we pursued people of other generations with, with the truth and wisdom that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What, what if we just didn't allow ourselves to, to stay in our own comfort zones, but we crossed generational divides to help one another navigate this world that we find ourselves in? Here's the other problem that I often see when it comes to mentoring, is that the generation before, the older generation says, they just don't want to listen to my wisdom. And I say, well, how did you tell them your wisdom? And often what I hear is, well, I told them this, and I told them about this life experience, and I told them, as that you just said a lot of I told them. I don't know anyone that receives information that way. I don't know anyone that receives wisdom by just telling them. Did you listen? Did you hear what they were going through? Did, did you actually listen and understand that maybe there's something you could learn yourself, that, that mentoring is a two-way street? See, one of the things about being an intergenerational church is that the older generation sometimes has to learn to give up control of the plane and, and let the younger generation fly a little bit and learn from their mistakes and, and understand the way of the world and, 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 and give them an opportunity. And, and we have to let go of our expectations and of our perfection and, and of our ideals and of all the things that we think need to be a certain way and, and let go of the statements, this is the way we've always done it. Because maybe there's a new generation showing us how to learn and live for Jesus Christ. Mentoring is a two-way street. If we want to be an intergenerational church, we, we not only need to exemplify the way of wisdom and emphasize belonging and engage in mentoring, we also need to live out the gospel. I think almost every time I talk about this topic or I talk about parenting or intergenerational relationship, two things often happen. One is, is there's so much grief in the room because people begin to think, well, I didn't really have that. And so there's this, this kind of wound that we experience that, that maybe our, our father, our church community, or our, our, the people who have come before us, that they wounded us in some way. Or maybe there's grief of people who, who really want to have kids and to, to be able to do some of the things that we've talked about today and, and haven't had that opportunity for whatever reason. And there's this grief that can overtake us. And then there's also a level of guilt that comes with this conversation. And I just don't have the time. I, this feels like one more thing that I need to do. I don't feel like I'm cool enough or good enough or whatever. And we can have this, this just guilt 
guilty conscience about, I, I'm not doing that. And, and I don't know that I actually have the ability or the time to make that happen. And, and so we're racked with this grief and guilt around this conversation. Here's an important thing for us to remember. And this is something that, that Stephanie and I actually tell, tell ourselves fairly often. Uh, she was a mental health therapist for a number of years. I've been a pastor of, of youth for, for a dozen years or so. And, and one thing that we learned pretty quickly in those fields working with kids in the next generation is that no matter who you are, you are going to screw your kids up. Like that's just it. And so we have this saying, it's like, hey, we're gonna screw our kids up. And, and it's not permissive. But it's this grace-centered understanding that no matter how hard we try, something is going to go wrong in the life of our kids. And, and no matter how hard we try to pass on the faith, no matter how hard we try to be faithful, we are still going to screw something up. And it's what we do with those mistakes that actually matters to the next generation. You see, when I screw up with Camden, it, it's not that I screwed up. It's how I respond to the make, mistake I made in interacting with her. Do I repent? Do I ask for her forgiveness? Do I believe the gospel is big enough that I cannot outsin it no matter what I do? You see, the, the biggest example we can leave for the faith and the generation behind us is that through our example of understanding the depths of God's grace is that we need to send the message so clearly to them that there is nothing they can do to outsin the grace of God or our unfailing love for them. We have to make that message profoundly clear. That there is nothing we can do to outsin the grace of God. And the truth is this to the depths we mine and understand the grace of God for ourselves always equates the depths of grace that we can express to others. When we understand the truth of what God has done for us, that is the place that we can learn to express God's grace to others. Uh, this past week, I was reading a very engaging and humorous Christmas letter, uh, which I know those things do not go hand in hand, but I kid you not, it was a great Christmas letter, and it's from Tim Lancaster, who I think is in the room today, um, and I asked if I could share this uh, story with him. Tim was sharing a story uh, of this last year about how his son uh, became a follower of Jesus. And it was this moment as a father where, where he relayed this kind of, he'd had all these conversations with his son about what it means to follow Jesus and, and it hadn't really gotten anywhere. And then his son went away to Idrahaji for the weekend and, and came away a follower of Jesus. And he asked him, uh, what happened? Like, why? And he said, I don't know, dad, the way they said it just made sense. And it's that moment as a parent, right, where you're just like, I, like there's nothing you can do. But his son became a follower of Jesus, and this is what Tim had to say that just, it, it, it stuck with me. He said, it was a moment as a parent I realized how grateful I was for the community of believers and how much I am not responsible for my children's decisions, but I am responsible for creating the best environment I can for the gospel to become undeniable. Creating an environment where the gospel becomes undeniable. You see, it, it takes all of us. It's not just parents. It's the community of faith that fills the generation gaps with the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ until the gospel becomes undeniable to the generation after us. The purpose of our church is not to just keep doing church the way we've always done it. It's to pass the faith to the next generation. 
to close today, we're not going to uh, respond in worship or song. I actually thought it would be appropriate if we just took a little bit of time to pray for the next generation. Um, and, and so students, I'm actually going to ask you all to stand and for everyone else to stand. Um, and we're just going to take a moment and extend hands and pray over the generation coming behind us uh, so that they can know the way of wisdom and so that they can experience what it is to belong to the body of Christ. And so would you stand now to pray with me as we close today? Heavenly Father, God, I, I know that when this topic comes up for many of us uh, on both sides, uh, the, the younger generations and the elder generations, God, we, we feel this gap, this pressure, this tension of how we see the world and experience the world. God, I know so many of us around this topic that, that we can just be filled with regret over things that we have done or things that we have left undone. God, I ask in this moment, anyone who, who's dealing with shame or regret or guilt, uh, that the truth of the gospel would speak softly and gently to our hearts. The, the places within us that we need to repent of or, or, or come to you with, God, I, I pray that we would have the ability to bring those things to you so that we can experience your goodness and grace. God, for the, the generations who are coming behind us, for the, the younger generations, God, we are so grateful for their testimony of pursuing you, of following you in an increasingly complex world. God, I'm re reminded of Jonah's words last week as he asked, as I asked what I should say to the church, and he said, we are not the church of tomorrow, we are a part of the church today. God, may we not just give words to that, but may we believe that. May we invite them to lead us and show us what it means to follow Jesus in this world. May we learn from them in their example. May we create a space of belonging where their faith can flourish. God, I pray that this would be a community that, that when the outside world looks at us and they have no paradigms for what it means for boomers or millennials or Gen Z or Gen X to relate with one another, that, that they could see a church where, where people who are 80 years old are praying and worshiping with eight-year-olds. God, may we be a vision of what it looks like to create community that transcends generational gaps and borders. May we be a community that makes the gospel undeniable to our world because it's undeniable in our community. And it's in Christ's name that we, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Uh, before I release you, one last thing I want to make you aware of is this Wednesday night on um, the uh, January 17th, I almost said October 17th, and that's, that was a long time ago, uh, we're having our first worship night of the year, uh, and we would love for you to come and join us. It'll be in the hub. Uh, it's actually an intergenerational expression of worship. The youth are going to be coming down and worshiping with us. Uh, it's experiential prayer, so we would love for you to come. It'll be a great night, uh, and there is childcare available for kids, kindergarten, and other under. Uh, may you go in peace now to love and serve the Lord. Amen.